You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate. My name is Stephen, and I am the site pastor at our site in Reno, Nevada. Go Wolfpack! Uh, today we are in the continuation of a series that we started last week, and the series is called The Life You've Always Wanted. So our, our goal as your pastors is to look at what the world says will lead you to the life that you've always wanted and then compare that to what the Bible says will truly lead you to the life that you've always wanted. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, in, in chapter 7, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus gives us a framework for understanding the difference between setting our lives on a firm foundation and setting our lives on a faulty foundation. So I want to start. I want to start there. Uh, that's not the text that we're going to stay in today, but I want to read that to you right, right now. So if you, if you want to follow along, we'll be in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. So Jesus is speaking and he says to the people around him, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus tells these people after he gives this this sermon um, that everyone who hears these words of mine and builds their life on them, uses them as the foundation uh, they will endure. They will not fall with a, with a great crash. Jesus, him, Jesus is saying that he himself, his life and his words, his teachings and his death and resurrection are the firm foundation for us to set our lives on. So if we were to wrap up this entire series into just a, a simple uh, few sentences, it would be that if we can set our, set our lives on nothing but the foundation of Jesus, that is what's going to lead us to the life we've always wanted. Um, and last week, we talked about uh, the, the faulty foundation that the world tells us will lead us to the life we've always wanted. And that faulty foundation uh, was money and success and career. The world says if you can strive to do these things, if you can achieve th- these things, if you can have this much stuff, um, then, then you will be satisfied. Then you'll have the life you've always wanted. And we looked at the story of the rich young ruler and how how untrue that is, how unsatisfying the things of the world and the things that we can procure and collect for ourselves truly are, and that Jesus truly is the only one who satisfies. And so this week we're going to continue. I want to look at another one of those faulty foundations. Um, what, are, what's, what are other things that the world is telling us? Set your life on this and you'll truly be satisfied. You'll, you'll have the life that you've always wanted. Um, and in order to do so, I want to tell you guys a little story about myself when I was young. Um, so when I was young, I, uh, I had allergies. I, I still have allergies, but my allergies were always pretty bad. Um, I had no food or medicine allergies, but I had a lot of seasonal allergies. And the, the bummer part was that I had enough of them that they covered every season. So as a little kid, I was gross. I constantly had a stuffed up nose. My nose was running. I was sneezing all the time. I was nasty. Um, I was your typical gross little kid. And uh, one particular thing about me as a kid, when I don't remember how old I was, 
but as I was pretty young, um, not only did I have a stuffed up snotty nose all the time, but I also didn't know how to blow my nose. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know how to do it, uh, and it frustrated me. Uh, so I, I would constantly be wiping my, my snot on my sleeves and all kinds of stuff. Again, I was nasty. Um, and it frustrated my mom too. My mom would come up to me and said, you need, to, you need to clean out your nose. And she would grab a tissue and she'd hold it up to my nose and she'd say, just blow. And I'd say, I can't, I can't do it. And so she'd pinch my nose and I hated that, uh, but I couldn't figure it out. Um, and I remember this memory is like strangely vivid in my mind. Um, there was a day where my parents had some family friends over and there was kids somewhere around my age and we were running around the house and the adults were in another room and uh, I got all sneezy. My eyes got all puffy, I got all itchy, and my nose started running. And I thought to myself, like, I, I can't bother my mom uh, to help me clean up my nose, so I'm gonna do it myself. And so I went into the dining room where I knew there was some tissues, and I grabbed the tissue off of the, the table, and I put it up to my nose, and for the first time in my life, I successfully blew my nose. And it was a big deal. I was stoked, I was elated. I started running around the house chanting, I blew my nose, I blew my nose, all over the place. I was probably obnoxious, my mom was probably embarrassed, but I ran up to her and I told you, mom, I did it, I blew my nose. And uh, she was excited for me or pretended to be. Um, and, and so I marked that day as a, as a big day in my life. It was the day that I, Stephen Trantham, learned how to blow my nose. And I've been doing it ever since, and I've been pretty successful at it. Um, so I wanted to share that with you. You're probably wondering, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Uh, and the reason I'd share that story with you is because I think that it reveals something about the way that we were designed as humans. I believe that as God, God has created us to want to share an accomplishment with other people, to want to share our desires with others, to share, um, share in our accomplishments with the people closest to us. And as we're little kids, those people are primarily our parents. Uh, we, want to, we want to share everything with them. So maybe, maybe for you, you could think of a memory where you were eager to tell your parents about something that you learned how to do. And maybe it wasn't blowing your nose or something silly like that. Maybe it was something more significant. Maybe you learned how to say your ABCs or something along those lines. Or if you don't have that memory for yourself, um, if you've been around a niece or a nephew or a kid uh, with their parents, you've probably seen this happen. You've probably seen a little kid try to display to their parents how fast they can run or how big they're getting or something they learned how to do. And I think this is natural and it's a beautiful thing. We were made to connect with our parents in that way, but what is even more beautiful about it is it's, it's similar to the way that we get to connect with our Heavenly Father, with God. It's, it's a, a uh, screenshot, if you will, of what is to come in our intimacy and connection with our Heavenly Father. But not only is this a true and um, valuable thing that we, we do even as little kids, but it's something that I think sin can corrupt and destroy. And what starts out as an innocent desire to be known and recognized by our parents becomes twisted. And I believe that many of us today have tried to build our lives on a faulty foundation of doing that, seeking affirmation from other people, seeking approval from others, uh, trying to put our worth and value into other people's reaction to the things that we do. Um, and we grow a hunger for their approval and it gets, it gets worse and worse and we start to recognize that we're willing to abandon ideals, we're willing to do crazy things just so that we can achieve um, a, a sense of accomplishment and share that with others or um, have them affirm 
or admire us. And so um, it, it starts off innocent. And I, I want you to know that as I grew up, this was my story. I started off as an innocent kid, um, wanting to share the silly moments with my parents. Um, and it got twisted in my mind. And I, I, I learned from a young age that if I was willing to work hard, if I was willing to put in the effort in school and in sports, that I was, I was able to succeed. Um, I was able to perform in a way that would, would get me recognition. And for a while, I put all my hope in that. I wanted, I wanted to be known by my teachers and my coaches and my parents that, that I had a sense of value because of what I could achieve. So I worked really hard at it. But then eventually that started to erode and I, I realized it wasn't satisfying enough. And this is all subconscious and I'm, I'm sharing this with you in hindsight. Um, but what, what happened in, the, in that moment is I, I made a transition. I, I was no longer satisfied with the approval I was gaining and the approval was lessening as my success became expected. And so I started to look for my affirmation, um, my sense of worth, my sense of accomplishment through relationships with other people. So I started to build my entire life on making sure that all the people around me liked me, that they praised me, that they admired me. And so I invested heavily in trying to be the guy that everyone liked. I was really nice to people. I tried to make no enemies. I tried to fit in with every social group that I could. Um, and I started getting closer to people just for the sake of them needing me. If I was able to share an emotional intimacy with a friend, it was clear to me that they were in need of me and I felt a sense of worth in doing so. Um, and I, I, I share this with you because uh, I believe that it was leading me to a life of destruction, leading me to a life that, that could not satisfy. I was constantly craving more and more of this. And, and I think that the world we're in today uh, is, is trying to tell us that this is, a, this is a sound foundation for us to build our lives on. They don't say it directly. No one would say that your goal in life should be to please people. But I do believe we see it in the actions of the world. We see the world tell us, be like this person, do this thing, dress this way, say this thing. All of these pressures that build up and, and push us towards conforming to be like the world. And so this kind of fixation and obsession that, that I have had and that other people have is what the Bible, what I believe the Bible would call the fear of man. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the fear of man. Um, Augustine said, that, said this about fear specifically. Fear is the response of the human heart when its one thing is threatened. Fear is the response of the human heart when its one thing is threatened. In other words, we call it the fear of man because... The one thing we care most about, the thing that matters the most to us, is what other people think of us. So we are afraid uh, in, in many instances to do anything that might fracture the way that we're viewed so we conform, uh, we do things to please people, and in general we, we fear a disapproval and so we hunger for the approval of others. So as I look at our culture today, I think this narrative is pretty rampant, but if you're not with me, uh, if you don't think, I've never, it, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I've never struggled with that. It's not an issue for me. I want to ask you a series of questions. And I think these questions will reveal that, that you may also have a fear of man issue. Because I think it's prevalent in our world and I think it's a part of every single one of us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list through these questions and there's a lot of them. So I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. They're not going to be on the screen. Um, and you don't need to write them all down. But what I want you to do is when I ask you a question that seems to hit 
hit the core of, of something you've experienced or something that you feel. Um, I want you to think about that. And even if you don't hear the rest of the questions that I list and you just spend your time thinking about how that's affected you, that, that, that's fine with me. Um, but I'm going to start going through these questions. Uh, so the first one is this. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? So I know you're probably thinking to yourself, I graduated from peer pressure when I left junior high. Um, but when I say peer pressure, what I mean is the pressure to, to have the right things, to wear the right things, uh, to have the perfect job, maybe peer pressure to have specific things on your resume, or maybe it's uh, to marry the right kind of person, and the list can go on and on. I think even as adults, we experience peer pressure. So have you ever struggled with peer pressure or succumbing to peer pressure? Um, are you overcommitted? Do you have trouble saying no to others? Do you find yourself constantly on the go, not because you're doing anything you like to do or want to do, but because you've said yes to too many people? Are you overcommitted? Next one, do you need something from other people? And when I say need, what I mean is, do you, do you think you need people to listen to you? Do you think you need people to, to view you a certain way or need them to respect you? Or do you feel like you, you need someone to fill a certain role in your life and without that, uh, you wouldn't know what you would do? Do you need something from others? Next one, do you struggle with self-esteem? Is your self-image a, a problem for you? Do you have a hard time thinking about your, your own sense of worth and value? You struggle with self-esteem. Uh, do you have thoughts about being exposed as an imposter in front of other people or people that you care about? And what I mean by this is do you think to yourself, if people found out blank about me, if people found out about this thing or this aspect of me or these thoughts that I have, uh, would it crush me? Would it crush you? Do you feel like you could be exposed as an imposter? Next one, do you, do you often second guess your decisions because of what others may think? Do you catch yourself trying to say something you believe and then reeling it back in? Do you get embarrassed easily? Are you constantly embarrassed? Are you worried about what other people, how other people might perceive the things that you say or the things that you do? Um, do you get embarrassed easily? Do you lie, specifically telling small lies or withholding information to make yourself look better? Do you constantly tell little white lies, so to speak, um, so that people will view you in a certain way? Do you get jealous of other people, what they have, the status that they carry, uh, the people that like them? Do you get jealous of other people? Are you often swayed emotionally by those around you? Are you um, sad when other people are sad um, just because they're sad? Are you deeply affected by the people around you beyond the point of just empathizing with people, um, but do other people's emotions control your emotions? Do you avoid specific people? Do you avoid instances where you might run into that person um, so that you don't have to engage in any kind of conflict or discomfort or embarrassment? Do you avoid specific people? Uh, do you diet and exercise, not for your health, but for the sake of other people or to impress those around you? Are you a gym rat because you think people will think you're cooler because of it? You diet and exercise for other people or to impress other people. So if you aren't with me yet, if not a single one of those questions 
you were able to identify and say, man, I think I have struggled with that, or I am struggling with that, or I think about that often, then maybe this isn't an issue for you, but I would doubt it. And I would, I would go as far to say is maybe you're just really good at it. Maybe you're really good at your fear of man problem so much to the point where you feel so much confidence in yourself because you're constantly comparing yourself to others in, in regards to what you have and they don't, that you're still giving them the power over your worth and value. <clears throat> so I hope, I hope you guys are with me in, to some extent. And I want to share with you what the Bible says about the fear of man. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the Bible says the fear of man is a trap. It will leave you to die. It will trap you and it will leave you to starve, to die. It keeps you suffering. It keeps you in a state of longing for much more. It's a snare. It's a trap. Uh, a, Christian, a Christian psychologist named Edward Welch wrote a book about the fear of man. And in it, he, he describes fear of man like this. So I want to give you this definition and some examples um, or some reasons he gives for why we fear people. So he says this, fear of man includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people or needing people. He also gives these, these three reasons why we fear people. He says, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, and despise us. And we fear people because they can attack, oppress, and threaten us. So, so here's our problem, Resonate. Our culture, through its actions, is, is leading us to believe that having a fear of man is what's going to lead us to a point where we are so confident about ourselves or we've achieved the things that we want in the eyes of other people uh, that, that we, will we will be living the life that we've always wanted. And I'm here to tell you that it's a trap. And I want to look at, at a passage of scripture today that um, I think can help rework the framework we have in our mind and set us on a, a more firm foundation about the way that we view man. And the primary way that we're going to do that is by looking at how we should view God. And so the, the passage that we're going to be in today is in Matthew chapter 10. And specifically, we're going to be in verses 28 through 33. And those will be up on the screen. Um, but before we get to them, I want to kind of catch you up to, to what's gone on in this chapter in the book of Matthew. So if you were to follow along in the book of Matthew from the beginning, uh, Jesus is about midway through his ministry on earth before he goes to the cross at this point. And this, is, this set of verses follows uh, Jesus sending out the disciples for the first time. And he, he, he tells them that they are, go, they, were, they are to go and to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he, he gives them a set of criteria in which they're supposed to go. And then he also tells them what it's going to be like when they go. And so his criteria is essentially that they are, they are to go uh, with nothing. They're not to bring any extra stuff with them. Essentially, they're to go with just the clothes that they have on, and they're to go to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're to go to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, and to cast out demons. They've been given a, a pretty grand mission, and they're told, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Um, don't take any extra stuff. Don't even take an extra bag. Uh, just go by yourself. And when you show up to these places, if there's not someone there to keep you, uh, you're going to dust your feet off as you go to the next town. 
Um, so he, he tells them essentially that God is going to be their provider the entire way. Don't come prepared. Uh, and then he tells them, I want to read these verses to you, verses 16 through 22, because it's a, it's a shocking reality the way that he says that he's going to send them out. So I'm going to read these, verse 16 through 22, and then we'll get into uh, the passage that we're going to stay in today. So it says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say or what you are to say or for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brothers will deliver brothers over to death and the father, his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And it continues on from there. But, but to simplify, this is what Jesus is telling them. He says, uh, you're going to go out like sheep amidst, uh, in the midst of wolves. You're going to be like prey among predators. Uh, you're, you're probably going to be hated. You're going to be beaten. Uh, you're going to be persecuted. And you might even be killed. Can you imagine being the apostles with Jesus in that moment, being sent out by him? What a terrifying command this must have been to them. The, the apostles in this moment had a lot to be afraid of. But if we keep reading, and this is where we're going to be today, uh, Jesus goes on to address the fear that they may have, right, that they likely do have. So I want you to jump down with me to verse 28 and read this with me. Verse 28 says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and and body in hell. Jesus tells them that people are not worthy of their fear because they only have control over killing the body. And he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, he says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, don't fear man. Instead, Fear God. Don't fear man. Instead, fear God. Now, it's not every day that you, you come and you, you are a part of a church service and you hear that fearing God is the answer to your problem. And so we're going to break this down a little bit. Uh, and, and I want to start off just by saying when you think of fear, we often think of things like phobias or horror movies or things that, that seem to uh, attach fear to something inherently negative. But I think uh, there's another way that we can think about fear. We can think about fear just by sheer contrast, by understanding the contrast between one thing and another. And so a, a good example of this, if, if you've ever been surfing or swimming in the ocean for a, a prolonged period of time, you've probably had a fear experience where for the first time in your life you're, you're surfing or you're swimming and a wave crashes over the top of you. And I don't just mean like the kind of wave that hits the back of your legs and pushes you forward. Um, what I mean to say is the kind of wave that swallows you whole, that picks you up, it throws you into the sand really hard, and then just in the moment where you think, okay, it's over and I can, I can swim up to the surface, it drags you, it picks you up again, and it throws you down again. And then just, as, just at the moment where you think, I'm not going to make it, 
like I'm done for here, I'm gonna drown, uh, you finally surface and you leave the water and you sit on the beach for a moment and you realize for the first time just how powerful the ocean is. You gain a fear for the ocean, but that fear that you gain for the ocean is not something that is inherently bad. It's not a bad thing that the ocean is powerful, but you fear it uh, because you admire it for its power. And I think when we think about God, we need to understand that God's power is limitless. Uh, Jesus highlights this in the passage and he, he, by explaining that God has the power to destroy both our bodies and our souls in hell. He is the creator of the universe and he is magnificent. He is be, our, his power is beyond, beyond our comprehension. We can, we can imagine because we've, seen, we've played too many video games, seen too many bad movies, um, the, the power that a human might possess to, to murder other people, um, to, to kill our bodies, but God is powerful of, is powerful enough to destroy both body and soul. So when we compare the magnificence of God in sheer contrast by his power to the power of man, we start to understand how insignificant a fear of man really is. So I want to keep reading with you. Uh, so follow along with me in, in Matthew 10, uh, starting again in verse 29. He says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are, no, are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father who is in heaven. Jesus goes on to explain to them, that God is in control beyond what men can control. Men can buy sparrows, but God controls whether or not they fall to the ground. And then he uses that to, to say, not only is he in control, but he knows us. He knows each and every one of us. Even the hairs on our head are numbered and known to God. So God cares about us. He knows us. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he made himself available to us despite our sin. So you and I, we can recognize that God is, is infinitely powerful. He is powerful enough to create the, the universe with his words, and he's powerful enough to create you and I, and he's powerful, en powerful enough to destroy our body and our soul. So we should revere him. We should be awestruck before him. We should fear him. Um, and in light of that, we should also recognize that through Christ, if we know Jesus, then we are, are covered by his blood. Our sins are covered. We're no longer penalized by, through the wrath of God for the sins that we have committed. So not only can we, do we fear God, but we recognize that we are saved by God. The most powerful thing we can imagine, far greater than that, is our God. And he knows us and he, he loves us. He showed that to us through Jesus on the cross. So, Maybe you're still wondering, how does this relate to the problem we addressed in the beginning? How does this, how does this reshape our mind? Um, I, I think the way that this reshapes our mind is when we fear God properly, our, all of our other fears start to pass away. When we fear and understand and we're in awe of God, our other fears will pass away. So to put it short, my solution to you about your fear of man problem is you overcome your fear of man problem by properly fearing God. In order to overcome your fear of man, 
you must fear God. We have to understand the, the contrast in his, his majesty and his might and his power. And we should be more concerned in, er, in any moment with what the God of the universe thinks than what the people around us think. Matt Chandler uses an analogy uh, to put into perspective the way, that, the way that we get this wrong in our lives on a regular basis. He, he compares man to a, a little kitten and he compares God to a lion. And he says that we are willing to go up to the lion and slap it across the, fe- or slap it across the face with no sense of fear or, um, or doubt. We confidently slap the lion in the face, but then we turn around and we see a little kitten and we run up a tree. We're terrified of it. He said, that's what our fear of man problem looks like. It looks foolish if you put it that way, but unless you can understand the, the power and the might of God and why he is so much more worthy of our fear, then we are still going to fear that little kitten. We're going to take the opinions of other people, what they think about us, and we're going to make those things rule our lives. So in order to overcome our fear of man, we must fear God. And in addition to that, God is not only worthy of our fear, but he's also worthy of our praise. And I said this already, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. Um, We as humans um, are sinful. By nature, we are children of wrath, the scriptures say. And so all throughout our lives, we have been committing sins. And even as Christians, we still commit sins. We still fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And, and sin is deserving of punishment. It's deserving of punishment. Because of the sins that we have committed, we should be punished. And our, what our punishment looks like is it looks like the wrath of God who is just being poured out on us. So thinking about that, the, the most powerful thing we can imagine, God being even greater than that, pouring out his wrath on us for the sins that we have crea- created or committed. Um, and that, that is just of God. He's our perfect judge. Um, but he made himself available to us through Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that none of us were able to live. He went to the cross on our behalf and he died. And then he rose again, defeating sin and death. And, and we're told in the scriptures that if we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and truly believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. We will no longer be condemned by our sin. We will be covered by the grace of Christ. And this is, this is done by grace alone through faith alone. God initiates this in us. He awakens us. He opens our blind eyes. He gives us new life. And in doing so, he's no longer just the 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 big guy in the sky that can can punish us but he becomes our heavenly father he adopts us as as sons and daughters into his family so god is not only worthy of our fear but he's also worthy of our praise because he has saved us from our own sin he has liberated us from the punishments of the sins that we have committed that we so deserve and so If you put those two things together, understanding a proper fear of God, as well as understanding the the gift that God has given us, we no longer have to fear man. We no longer have to care about what other people think of us. We no longer have to do things just to please those around us. Um, We can do instead things to please God. And God, being rich in mercy, loved us so much that he was willing to provide himself 
as our all is is everything we need as our foundation to satisfy us through Jesus on the cross. And so here's here's the way that I think we need to address our fear of man issue. Three steps. Here's how you're going to address your fear of man issue. The first step you need to do is you need to confess it. If you have a fear of man problem, you need to confess it. You need to confess it to God and you need to confess it to the people around you. You need to let it be known. Speak it into reality. Let it be known that you fear man for this reason. You are fixated on other people's um, opinions of you. Uh, you're, you're hungry for their affirmation and you fear them because of it. So confess it. Next, you need to challenge it. And when I say challenge it, what I mean by that is you need to put it up against what you know about God. So if, if you take whatever it is that you're afraid of and you compare it to the surpassing uh, power and might of God, I think we'll see a proper perspective of what, is, what should be feared and what shouldn't. The lion should be feared over the kitten. So challenge it. Ask questions of it. Why are you afraid of that thing? Is it worth being afraid of? And the third thing, you confess it, you challenge it, you need to confront it. Step out in obedience to overcome your fear of man issue and know that God is with you. He promises that in his spirit. So confront your, your fear of man issue by stepping out in obedience, by rejecting whatever that action associated with it is or whatever that fear is. Um, and th- th- there's one more thing that I want to I talk about before we conclude, uh, and it's this. I think that our, our fear of man problem is something that does not just exist in the world and does not just exist in our lives before uh, we come to Christ and know Christ and, and found our lives on Christ. I think it continues, and it, it continues in, a, in maybe a more destructive and subtle way. One of my deepest concerns Uh, for myself and for the people that I lead, the people in our church, is that they will take their fear of man problem and they will put a righteous banner over the top of it. So what I mean by this is people will go from fearing the people around them in the world to fearing the people in the church. And the way by which they operate in that is they say yes to Christian things without ever actually experiencing God. So they practice obedience without giving any glory to God. They go to the events, they say yes to these things, they, they develop these disciplines, but in actuality, they have just changed their social circle. And now they're using the church as their way to feel satisfied through other people's affirmation. Um, and, and it's not enough. And it, it's, it's so close that it almost feels right, but it's so far that it can damn you to hell. We need to fear God, not fear people in the church. Uh, if you're in the room today, I want to I share with you um, some verses that I think speak to, to that very thing. Um, Jesus, in his time on earth, had some of his most choice words to say to the religious people of that day. People who claimed to, to be religious, to know God. Uh, he says this to them in, in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, I hope to God that, that nobody in our church ever reaches the end of their life and has an encounter with Jesus in which he says, you led villages in my name, you led huddles in my name, uh, you went on serve trips in my name, you did, you did some mighty things in my name, but depart from me because I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. I don't want that to be anyone's story in our church. And I think we can trick ourselves into believing that our, our fear of man issue, our desire to please people around us inside the church is what salvation looks like. And it's not true. You need to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he has made himself available to know. He went on our behalf to the cross and paid the punishment for our sins. And he invites us. Jesus invites us in. And so if, if you recognize today that you are struggling with the fear of man and your foundation is built on what other people think, then my plea for you is to consider God. Recognize his magnificence and receive Jesus and his invitation to know him. And until we understand how worthy God is of both our fear, our awe, and our worship and praise, we will continue to allow other people's approval and affirmation to rule our lives. We'll allow it to be our God. So uh, I, I want to ask you a couple questions at the end, but to close, I want to share an illustration with you that was originally um, written by John Piper. Um, and this is what it says. He says, I picture myself climbing in the mountains, say the Himalayas, and on these massive rock faces, I see a storm coming. It is going to be a massive storm, and I feel unbelievably vulnerable on these mountain precipices. And so I desperately, I am desperately looking for a little covert in the rock where I won't be blown off the side of the cliff to destruction. And I find a hole in the side of the mountain and I spin quickly and suddenly the holiness and justice and power and wrath and judgment of God breaks over me like a hurricane. But I know I am totally safe, which means all that horrible danger is transposed into the, the music of majesty and I can enjoy it rather than fearing it. And I think that is what the cross is. Jesus died for us to provide a place where we could enjoy the majesty of God with a kind of fear and trembling and reverence and awe, but not a cowering fear. So set your life on the foundation of Jesus. As you spend time with him, as you learn more about him, I believe that you will find you aren't easily overcome by the pressures of the world around you and you're no longer stricken with fear of anything. So I, I want to pray for us and then I want to leave you with, with two questions to consider. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word and for your presence. God, you are worthy of our worship and our fear. Thank you for the grace that you have given us. Thank you for allowing us to know you despite our sin and our brokenness. God, we are helpless without you. And Lord, would, would you help us to understand how, how worthy of our awe and worship you are, God? And let us have a reverence for you that makes every fear seem foolish aside from you. God, I pray for anybody listening today that does not yet know you. 
Uh, would they be humbled before you as they recognize, maybe for the first time, the power that you have over them to destroy both their body and soul in hell? And would that, that fear, that gut-wrenching fear, be met with an understanding of the invitation you've given us through Jesus? And would we, would we find ourselves uh, secure in our shelter as we, as we see your majesty poured out? God, would you save somebody today? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to leave you with these two questions. Resonate. First one is this. Where do you struggle with the fear of man in your life right now? Where are you struggling with it? Where are you struggling with the fear of man in your life right now? And how are you going to confront that fear and walk in obedience? How are you going to confront that fear and walk in obedience? It's been a joy to get to share this with you. It's, a, it's something that has transformed my life. I have struggled with the fear of man, even as a Christian, even as a pastor. And every day I need to set my eyes and my understanding on the fact that, that God is worthy of my fear. And simultaneously, he's made himself known to me. And I know him and I'm saved by him. So I, I pray and I hope that that's the truth that you can land on today. And that as the world says that that doing things for other people will lead you to the life that you've always wanted. You understand that, that God is our only secure foundation and, and He will lead us to the life that we've always wanted. Love you, Resonate. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.